You are listening to the Uncanceled Podcast. We believe that Jesus came to set you free and nothing can cancel the truth of God's word. Now here's your host, the youth pastor of Impact Youth at Faith Church in New Milford, Connecticut, Pastor Joey Santora. What is going on, Uncanceled? How are you guys doing today? Thank you so much for tuning in. We are excited, but also kind of sad today. At the same time, because, well, I have something to announce. It's like kind of like, it's kind of like the death of one thing that gives birth to the life of many things. It's like the death of Christ was the death of one man, but through that death, many lives would come out of it. Do you you understand? So uh, today is, in fact, rate that apple, but. Today is going to be oh, don't say it. one of the last Rate That Apples, oh. really the last of the actual series, yeah. Rate That Apple. What a run. What a run. It I really, even, really. I don't like, even know how many we rated. 20 maybe? Like more? Maybe. I don't know. Probably close to 20. Yeah. We, we, we've, we've Actually, there's only been, this is the 20th episode of the podcast. This is the 20th episode of the podcast. Whoa. Like, should we get like a, like, like trumpets, like confetti coming up behind us or something like that? Wow. 20 episodes. Thank you guys. You guys are awesome. We get like, we get like pretty consistently over a period of time, like a hundred views on each video. Like after a couple of weeks, we get about a hundred views. So thank you guys for, for watching it and for tuning in and uh, just learning about God's word. That's what the most important thing is. Uh, I have a great word for you guys today about a very controversial topic in Christianity today. Uh, But before we get there, Let's let's rate that apple. What do we got today, Reg? Today, I mean, we really saved the best for last. <laughs> Guys, it's an envy apple. You've heard about it in the past weeks, and uh, it is my favorite apple. Here's the only thing that I'll say, quick disclaimer. Recently, they haven't been the most okay. great. Inconsistent. So, um, I don't know, time of year or whatever. But All right. I'm in. Let's give it a shot. Yep. You mean like the skin is a little bit different? Um, well, I'll tell you this, right? It's still a great apple. Like, I enjoyed that first bite. Like that that was a solid first bite. The thing that gets me about the, the about like an envy every now and again, if you don't get it from the right place, or if it's not the right time of year, the skin can get a little bit of that waxiness yeah. going on. Here's uh, what I'll tell you. Yeah. It, if you if you can get it from Costco, Costco has the best. Dude, Costco apples. has the best envy apples. I don't understand. Whenever he brings me an envy, it's like it's like way better These than any. Not from Costco. Yeah, because they don't have them anymore. But the this is like this is still a really good apple. Yep. Everything about it is great. Yep. Even the skin's wax, waxing it in this. It's like initially on the bite, but it kind of just goes away yep. after after a second. So, uh, still a really good apple. For me. I'm not rating this particular apple, but I'm rating the Envy apple in all of its greatness, and I'm giving it a 10 because it's my perfect apple. Envy apple for me is probably a 9.5. It's a really great apple. It's a really great apple. My my favorite apple is still probably the Honeycrisp apple, yeah. uh, but Envy's right behind it. I, mean, I would we, have no problem with that. We learned a lot. We did learn and a it lot. It was so informative. It, it was literally like you just got like – 
great education. We encourage you to eat a healthy snack, right? Yeah. And I'm going to probably save this, actually, because I'm going to eat it once I'm done with the podcast. Yeah. But, but we will also be encouraging you to remain in these health, in these health habits yeah. with our next segment. We're starting a new thing. We are not calling it Rate That Apple anymore. It is now just Rate That. Rate That. Rate That. And our next series of Rate That is Rate That, that Carbonated, carbonated water. water. What do we got today? Today. Boom. Liquid Death. Liquid Death. Liquid Death is Jonathan Shuttlesworth's favorite seltzer, who is an evangelist that I listen to. So I'm excited to, to uh, give, this, give this a shot. We're going to give it a shot. Um, should we give it a shot today, Ben, or should we save it to next week? I'll leave that up to you. Whatever you I, think. I think that there should be some suspense to oh, the buildup uh -oh. of Liquid Death. We will try this next week. Okay. We will try this next week for the first segment of Rate That Carbonated Water. Sounds great. This, that, that was great. Rate hey, that apple. Rate that apple. Thank you. Thank you. you. Know, thank you. You're good to us. If you want to drop in the comments, thank you to rate yeah. that apple. That, that would be great. How, how many pastors do you know that have a podcast that rate a food or a drink before they do a teaching of God's word? Know, like more should come on more should man. Like, like uh, Jonathan Shuttlesworth, if you're ever watching this man, you should really do a rate that like carbonated beverage because you're always drinking a monster Red Bull uh, liquid death. He was watching this. He'd be like, who's this guy telling me what I should do? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, today I have a very serious matter to discuss with you after a very not serious thing. Um, well, depends on who you talk to, right? Um, but, uh, I have a very serious matter to talk to. Now that we're getting into the word of God, uh, a great man of God that I know says that comedy and conviction do not share the same pulpit. And I believe that once we get into the word of God, you know, this isn't, this isn't a joke. This isn't some type of thing that we're going to mess around with today. We're going to talk, we're going to get serious now because we're going to talk about God's word. And there's a, there's a movement in Christianity that is very popular now. It is called the hyper grace movement. The hyper grace movement. The hyper grace movement. Hyper grace, I'm going to define it for you real quick. Hyper grace teaches that all sin, past, present, and future is already forgiven. Therefore, there's no need for believers to ever confess or repent of their sin since it is already forgiven. They believe in the initial repentance when you get saved, but after that, you're good. There's no more... Uh, repentance, uh, and they also believe hyper-grace. The Holy Spirit really doesn't convict Christians of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, but not Christians of sin. It's popular in this teaching to say that anyone who disagrees with the mindset that I just said is pharisaical or legalistic, or in other words, they basically, the person is excessively follows the rules out of religion instead of a true relationship with Jesus Christ. So this is the teaching of hyper grace that is out there today. And here are the results of hyper grace. Hyper grace leads to these ideas. There is no need to repent because we're already forgiven. You repent when you give your life to Christ, but after that, there's no need to repent of sin. We're not under the law, but under grace. Therefore, we can kind of just do what we want. Nobody wouldn't really come right out and say that, but that is what it promotes, and that is the result of hyper grace. There's a great book out 
And now, disclaimer, I don't agree with everything that this man teaches, uh, but I do agree with his perspectives on this book, and I think it's a great book. It's by Michael L. Brown. It's called Hyper Grace. Hyper Grace. I'm, I'm through a couple chapters of the book, and I, I've learned some stuff already, and I'm going to keep reading it. But uh, on page 13, he says this, a man who had served with a well-known hyper-grace leader wrote to me at length, wanting me to understand just how bad things were. Here's what he said. I heard more F and S words in that movement than anywhere else in my entire life. After all, you're legalistic if you ever tell someone to not do something. Because their argument is, grace only empowers us to do things. It never tells us to not do things. That's legalism, or do-do Christianity, as they called it. So, that's really bad. Um, this, this popular hyper-grace teacher, I don't know who it is. It doesn't say who it is. And I, I applaud Michael L. Brown for not just coming right out and, and trying to... Uh, assault people and stuff. He's just trying to get to the truth of God's word. And I'm not, I'm not against ever saying someone's name, but in this context, I think it was appropriate. And he mentions that this person that was in this hyper grace movement, that these people that they're swearing up a storm all the time, but if you, God forbid you say, hey, you, you know, you really shouldn't swear, that that is legalistic or pharisaical or doo-doo Christianity. Doo-doo Christianity, like poop, like doo-doo, like, like, like what, what, what is that? Like, that doesn't even make sense to me. But anyway, it's, it's like, you know, some type of do-do Christianity or it's wrong. And it leads to this idea that, whoa, 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 don't tell me that my sin is wrong. Don't tell me I'm doing something wrong because I'm under grace. I'm under grace. And therefore, my sins are already forgiven, past, present, and future. Well, to be quite honest with you, I don't really care what a movement says, I care what the Word of God says. I care what the Word of God says. If Even if, you know, the circle of people that I run with, I run with, you know, Pentecostalism, um, if they say, you know, something, and I don't think it's in line with God's Word, I don't really care. I don't run with a movement. I run with the Word of God. That's what I do. What the Word of God says is final. So, what does the Bible say concerning hyper-grace? Let's start with this. What hypergrace has right? Let's start there. What does hypergrace get right? Let's go to Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Hypergrace gets this right. The Bible does, in fact, teach that when we accept Christ, we're right with God. The Bible, in fact, teaches this principle. Romans 3. Verse 22, it says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Hypergrace indeed gets the idea right that when we accept Christ, that we're right with God. You are 100% right with God when you accept Christ Jesus as your Savior. Romans 5.1. It says, therefore, since we've been made right with God, uh, or made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. When you accept Jesus Christ, you are right with God. 100% right with God. So yes, they get that part down. 100% right with God. The second thing that hyper grace gets right, 
is a cardinal doctrine of the faith. The Bible does teach that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. Hypergrace would argue that, you know, focusing on doing the right thing or living right before God is being saved by works. They are correct in the sense that we're not saved by works, but I'll get into where they're wrong on that in a second. But the Bible does say that we're saved by grace through faith. Let's talk about, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm turning there right now, excuse me. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to go to verse 8. They get it right in this department. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8, it says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Clearly says there, salvation is by grace. Um, I, I prefer the NIV translation here. That's the NLT translation. It says, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of your own worse, works, lest any man can boast. It's, not, it's by grace through faith. I think I just mixed the King James and the NIV. Forgive me. But you get the idea. It is by grace through faith that we are saved. We are not saved by the things that we do. We're not saved by the things that we do. We're saved by grace through faith. That's a different topic for another time. I was going to say something else. Because grace is not really what people think that it is. I, learned, I was learning this today, actually. But that's a topic for another time. I need to research and explore that a little more. Where does hypergrace have it wrong? So they got it right that, yes, we're right with God when we get saved. Yes, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. Where does it get it wrong? First point, we do need to confess and repent of our sins as Christians. We absolutely need to confess our sins as Christians. 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Here's what some people would argue. Well, Pastor Joey, you know, 1 John was not written to Christians. It was written to non-Christians. So it's saying that they should confess their sins. That's a, that's a clear a mistake and misunderstanding because 1 John chapter 2 says, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. My dear children. John, the writer of this, seems to be indicating that he's writing to his children. He's writing to dear children in the faith. He's not writing to, uh, why would he say my dear children if it's somebody that's not saved? That doesn't make any sense. The audience he's writing to is clearly knows, is clearly knows the Lord. Now, there was a false teaching there, and he was calling people to repentance of sin in general. But he's writing here to a group of believers. But fine, if you want to argue that First John is writing to non-believers, even though that's not correct. Let's go to James. Let's go to James 5. James chapter 5, verse 15. I love the word of God. Amen. It says, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. 
And if you committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to one and not each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, understand the context is talking about calling upon the elders of the church. Who would call upon the elders of the church? People that go to church. Who goes to church? People that are saved. Clearly, James is writing to the church here. And James says to confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. It says if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. We'll get to that in just a second. That's a very important text right there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Again, we do need to confess and repent of our sins as Christians when we do wrong. Absolutely. The Bible does not indicate anything else. It doesn't say that you're, you know, oh yeah, you're all good once you just accept Jesus Christ. You know, if you ever do anything wrong, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay, what does that have to do with confessing your sin? In the context of this, Jesus is talking about when you pray, pray like this. Who prays? Do you, how many of you guys know unbelievers that spent, really care about what the Bible says about prayer? They like don't believe in Jesus Christ, but they're just, oh yeah, but you know, they pray, you know, every now and again, you know, just, you know, just for fun. They spend time in prayer with God. No, they don't spend time in prayer with God. Maybe they say Hail Mary and Our Father or something like that. But they don't genuinely do what this text says and talks about when it comes to prayer. So it says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. Clearly, there is a forgiveness of sin that is beyond when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Again, when you accept Christ as your Savior, you're right with God and you're saved. But there seems to be a suggestion in Scripture, not a suggestion, a command in Scripture, that we're to confess and repent of our sins as Christians too. All right, fine. You don't buy me on any of those. This one's pretty harsh. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. This is written to the church at Ephesus. It's written to the church at Ephesus. It's very clear. Written to the angel of the church in Ephesus. It's written to the church of Ephesus. We can all agree with that. There's really no way around that. Verse 4. But I have this complaint against you. This is the Lord speaking to them. Like it's in, it's in red lettering. Like this is like the Christ speaking through, through John. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Clearly, Jesus is saying, repent. You need to repent. You need to come back to me. This is written to the church. This is written to the church. It even says in verse 2, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined uh, uh, the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. You have, been, uh, have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this one complaint against you. Clearly, he's not saying to them that, you know, you're not saved or anything like that. And like, you know, but he's saying, yes, I have this complaint against you that you need to repent. That you need to repent or he'll remove uh, your lampstand from its place among the churches. Repentance. Clearly, Jesus is saying here, 
that repentance is required, required of believers as well when they sin. Second thing, and this one is going to be a little controversial, but I mean, this is all controversial. Not for my students that are watching right now, but maybe for someone that's watching that's studied the Word of God for a very long time um, and had some different mindsets. But it's biblical. All sin is propitiated for, but not automatically forgiven without repentance. All sin is propitiated for, but not automatically forgiven without repentance. Okay, what does propitiation mean? What does propitiation mean? First John chapter 2. I actually want to read this in the, in the New King James Version. I feel like it does a better job. Sometimes the NLT is good, and it helps you be able to understand the idea of the text, but it's not as word for word as other texts. I recommend my students to read that because it helps you understand the Word of God still, but um, it's, a, it's not as word for word. I prefer like an ESV. I don't even prefer an, an NKJV for this, but it's, this is uh, more correct here. My little children, these things I write to you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. And not only ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Christ is the propitiation for our sins. For our sins. Notice how it says this. That ye sin not. But then it says, if you do sin, we have an advocate, Jesus the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not only ours, but for the sins of the world. So he's saying, I hope you don't sin in the first place, but if you do, we have an advocate, and he is the propitiation for our sins. What is propitiation? I've said it like seven times. You're probably wondering what it means. Propitiation is the appeasing of God for, for sin or the bearing of the wrath of God for sin. That's what it is. It is the appeasing of God for sin or the bearing, bearing the wrath of God for sin. That's what Christ became for us. So all sin has been appeased for before God and has been um, the wrath of God towards sin has been borne by Christ. But, and it's available for everyone, it's been propitiated for, but not all sin is automatically forgiven without repentance. Very important. Again, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, then he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Uh, Revelation 2, 4 through 5 tells us to, uh, to, tells them to repent of their sin. James 5, 15 through 16. Uh, let's go back to that text. Let me read it to you guys again, just so that we can have a refresher there. James chapter 5, verse 15. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Again, forgiveness See, forgiveness seems to uh, happen for believers as well. It's not just for unbelievers. The, the scripture shows us that believers repent as well. Sin is not just automatically forgiven. Our past, present, and future is not forgiven. Our past and present is forgiven. When you ask God for your past, your present, forgiven. But, like up until that point, but if we sin or do something wrong, we still need to repent. We still need to go to God and say, Lord, I confess my sin to you. And next week, I'm excited for this. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to guarantee it, but I think this is what the Lord's putting on my heart for next week. 
I had a conversation with a friend, and they showed me seven uh, seven signs of genuine repentance in the scriptures. It's powerful. I'm excited to. I'm excited about that. It's it's going to be good. But we'll get into that next week. But understand this: that we need to repent. True repentance is a decision to turn from sin. You're fed up. You're disgusted with sin, and you don't want to mess with it anymore. You're like, I am very serious. I don't want to sin anymore. I do not want to sin anymore. And you make a decision to turn from sin. Genuine repentance is not, I feel sorry about what I just did. I just feel sorry about it, and I hope that, you know, I, you know, I'm sorry, like I feel, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah, you, oh, I feel icky or whatever. Okay, like, you know, I hope it's better now. That's actually not the fullness of genuine repentance. Uh, I'll show you exactly what I mean. I'll prove it to you. 2 Corinthians 7, 9. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry. Whoa, not because you were made sorry but because your sorrow led you to repentance, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so you were not harmed in any way by us. It's not just the I'm sorry part. It's the sorrow leading to repentance. What is repentance? It is a turning away from sin. Sorrow is, you go, man, I, I do feel really bad about this. Okay, that's good, godly sorrow. You feel, you know, I feel, you know, sorrowful about what I did, but it's not just the I'm sorry and I'm gonna go down to the altar so I feel better about myself. That's not repentance. Repentance is I came down to the altar. I feel sorry about what I did. And I am disgusted with this. And I never want to do it again. And I'm turning my back on it today. That is repentance. That is repentance. If someone told you that, you know, come down to the altar and just tell God that you're sorry. And, you know, and, and, you know it will all go away and stuff. There's truth in that. That, yes, you know, there's sorrow. But that sorrow needs to lead to a repentance where you turn your back on sin. I'm done. I'm out. I'm done. I have no interest in doing this sin anymore. That is godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And that's what you need in your life. That's what we need when we do something wrong. I know, man, when, when I, I, didn't, I didn't fully understand this or fully get this at one point, and I didn't understand the doctrine of it uh, when, I, when, I, um, when I really came to this point. But, you know, de- dealing with sin in my own life, uh, you know, going through Bible college, you know, God just cutting things out of my life. There came a point where I had to say, like, ugh, I'm disgusted with this thing. I hate this. And I said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm turning my back on sin. And that's what you need to do today. You need to say, I'm done. If you, if you came down to an altar one time and you just felt really bad and cried your eyes out the entire night and then you left the altar my question, did you make a decision to repent? I'm turning my back on sin. Uh, it actually, there's a text, it's in Hebrews. It says that Esau, that, that he wept and wept, but repentance was not granted to him. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Why wasn't repentance granted to him? He needed to actually make a decision to turn his back. I'm done. It's over. No, I'm not doing this anymore. You need to do that as well in your life. I need to do that in my life. When we sin, I am turning my back on this disgusting thing, and I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not doing it anymore. You know, I understand, you know, you turn your back on it, and, you know, I, I, I encourage you, you know, when you really turn your back on sin, you're not going to pick it back up again. But if you do fall into sin again, come back to that place. I'm disgusted. I'm done. 
Get rid of it. Get disgusted enough, guys that are watching this, get disgusted enough with pornography, and honestly, maybe even girls. I, I, I don't know. I, you know we, we limit it to guys. Girls could struggle with that too. I'm disgusted with this so much, I'm done, and I won't do this anymore. I, mean, I think I am going to talk about next week what, what true repentance requires, and we're going to go through those seven, seven different steps of what it looks like. And it's powerful, man. It all comes from 2 Corinthians 7. I never saw it before until today, so, so it, it was awesome. But understand, repentance, be fed up, disgusted. I'm done with this. I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. We need to repent from sin even after we've been saved. Why repent, though? Why repent? Because I know what somebody's thinking right now, but am I still saved if I did something wrong when I'm a Christian? I, I actually love what... what um. Michael L. Brown says here in page 44, it's clear that our present sins need present forgiveness. In other words, not what I was saying before where up to the point where you've sinned, you're forgiven, but your present sin, if you sinned after that point, that's your present sin. Your present sins need present forgiveness, not for the purpose of salvation, but as part of our relationship with the Father. Understand. Understand this, your relationship with God will get more and more damaged if you don't repent of your sin, and it will lead to you not being saved anymore, absolutely. So, no, initially, like, okay, you know, I lie, I do something wrong, am I not saved anymore? No. But if I choose to harden my heart and not repent of that sin, and I just say, okay, you know, uh, all right, you know, well, my sin's already forgiven, I don't need to repent for that anymore. What that's going to do is you're just going to lead to a, it's going to lead to a lifestyle where you're just doing stuff all the time that's not honoring to God and you're never repenting for it and you're going to eventually walk yourself out of your salvation. Yes, you can turn away from salvation. My friend said this to me earlier. He believes in eternal security and I believe it too, to a point. Like that's once saved, always saved. I don't believe it like to the extent that people believe it. I believe that absolutely nobody can take your salvation away from you. Guess what? Except for you. Except for you. Yes, you're in the palm of God's hand and no one can pluck you out except for you. You can walk out of it. You can just say, okay, I'm done with this thing. You absolutely can choose to be done with your salvation. You can give up your salvation. You can give up your salvation. Nobody else can take it from you. No one can take your salvation from you except for yourself. So, no, I don't actually believe in eternal security or, or once saved, always saved to the extent that they do. But I believe that you're eternally secured to, to heaven, and I believe the Bible teaches that until you make a decision not to be. It's up to you. Again, no, I don't believe in eternal security, the fullness of that doctrine. I just want to make sure I'm clear on that. But the only person that can turn their back on, uh, on um, the only person that can turn their back on, on Christ is you. You can do it for yourself. That's why repentance is important. It damages your relationship with God to the point where eventually you, you won't be saved anymore. You won't be. So all sin's propitiated for, but not automatically forgiven without repentance. We need to repent. Our relationship with God will be damaged, and we will walk ourselves out of our relationship with God. Paul said in Romans 6, uh, verse 1 and 2, he said, should we keep on sinning to show more of, of God's uh, wonderful grace? And he says, of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? It's actually the expectation in the New Testament that sin is a rare thing for Christians. That's not like a common thing. We've made Christianity, yeah, you know, we all sin. You know, we all just, you know, every day, just I'm just repenting every single day for the same things I did yesterday. No, 
In the New Testament, it doesn't suggest that. It suggests living a lifestyle of holiness. And, you know, am I saying that I'm perfect? No. Am I saying, though, that I've gone a day without sinning? Yes, I have. I can go as long as I want without sinning. You can go as long as you want without sinning. It's up to you. You can sin whenever, whenever you want. You can sin whenever you want. And you can also choose not to sin whenever you want and live godly whenever you want. The, the Old Testament, the expectation is that sin is not a common thing. Again, John said, I write this to you so you will not sin. But if you do sin, this. Again, it was the expectation that you don't sin. But if you do this. Um, my last point. While we're not saved by works, works should follow the life of a believer. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give it, uh, that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You know what type of Christians are like that description? Christians that don't believe in prosperity and have a po poverty mentality. They, you know, they don't have any money for themselves, so they can't help out people that are in need. They go on the streets to minister to people. God bless you. I know you're cold. I know you're hurting right now. But if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, one day when you get to heaven, you won't be warm or you won't be cold. You won't be hurting. You won't have all these wounds in your body. It will be all good someday. And that's what a lot of Christians do. They, that's the message of the gospel for them. Your life's going to be miserable now, but at least one day when you get to heaven, it will be better. Instead of preaching a God that he cares about you now and he cares about your eternity. That, yeah, there are present sufferings while we're in this life. That, yeah, there might be a difficulty that you may face in your life, but God's power can bring you through it in this life and in the life to come. And so James is saying here, why don't you, you know, when I, when I used to go and preach the gospel to people, they would say, I'm hungry. You know what I would do? Oh, well, you know, hunger and thirst for righteousness, brother. And, you know, one day, you know, when you get to heaven, it will be all right. And, you know, your hunger will be. No, I don't say that garbage to them because they don't understand spiritual things. We speak to them like they should understand spiritual things when they're not even saved. Someone that's not saved cannot understand spiritual principles. So what do I do instead? I say this. I say, let me get you some food real quick. And then I'm going to tell you about my friend, Jesus Christ. So what do I do? I walk them to a food truck or I, you know, walk to the grocery store. I say, stay right here. I'll be back. I go and I buy them food. I hand it to them. I say, can I preach the gospel to you now? Almost every time they're like, yeah, go ahead and tell me. Why? Because I met their actual need that they had at that moment. And I did a work in that moment. And now their hearts are open up to hear the gospel. But anyway, what I'm saying here with James is, if you say you're a Christian, but you have no fruit, how could you really be a Christian? If I say I'm an apple tree, but I don't produce apples, how can I be an apple tree? Doesn't make any sense. Uh, Jesus says, abide in me and I'll abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. Christians need to bear fruit. Christians need to bear fruit. And so, no, you're not saved by that. That's not the initial thing that gets you saved. You're not doing anything to be saved. But as a result of your salvation, you should be bearing fruit. Think about it like this. The tree itself, let's say that the tree, you know, it's planted by someone else. But then the tree springs up and bears fruit, right? So 
God, in a sense, is planting that tree and you're planting the seed in your life and then you're growing and you're producing fruit. Maybe not the best analogy, but a good idea of understanding what's really happening. It's God's giving you the power to be able to have faith. You receive the gospel by faith. It's your choice. I believe I'm an Arminian. I'm not a Calvinist. I believe that, you know, we choose to be saved. It's up to you to be saved or not. That God does the work on the inside of us, brings us to the point of salvation and we either accept or reject the gospel. And so we accept the gospel by God gives us a measure of faith to accept the gospel by grace through faith. But then after that, if that, if that conversion was genuine, then you should have works because faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Hyper grace. Hyper grace. It's not a proper teaching of the Bible. It's not a proper teaching of the Bible that our sins are forgiven past, present, and future already. Our sins absolutely have a solution past, present, and future. When you give your life to Christ, your sins up to that point are absolutely forgiven. But when you sin, you need to confess your sin to get back in right relationship with God so that you don't drift from your salvation. If you don't confess your sin, if you don't confess your sin, again, you're going to drift further and further away from God. That's what's going to happen. So no... If you sin, you're not going to automatically not be saved anymore, but it will lead you further away from God. We have to understand proper Bible teachings, not these, you know, just like, oh, you know, you can do whatever you want because that's what hyper grace leads to. You can just do whatever you want and it doesn't matter. People dropping F-bombs all over the place. Don't tell me that I can't say that I'm not under the law, I'm under grace or I'm not under the old covenant, I'm under the new covenant of grace, praise God. Yes, you are under the new covenant of grace, but under but grace, listen to this. Grace is actually the empowerment for you to live a godly life. Grace is really not unmerited favor. A lot of Pentecostals say, you know, it's a position of unmerited favor, and I, and I understand where they might get that from, but really it's the empowerment that you have in your life to live a godly life. So we're supposed to actually live a godly life. In the, old, in the new covenant, too. In the new covenant, too. God expects holiness from his people. That's his character. So I hope this helped you today. Understand, God has so much grace for you. Grace is a wonderful thing. And uh, he, here's the balance. I, I'm, I'm, keep, I'm, I'm like wrapping up three times already. But here's the balance between the two. There's a gospel that just preaches no grace, and there's a gospel that preaches all grace. Hyper grace. Here is the gospel, the Bible. The Bible is, God has so much grace for us, but and if we sin, we confess that sin, and he forgives us, just like that. So no, you don't have to do all of these different things to try and be forgiven once you do something wrong. You know, okay, you know, I lie, and I do some, or I do something I shouldn't do. I lie, I cheat, I steal, I do something I shouldn't do. Lord, I realize that I'm wrong, and I hate that behavior, and I turn from that today. Forgive me, God. You know what? Done. That's it. It's done. No, you don't have to live the rest of your day. You know, God, I hope that God really forgave me. When Yes, he really forgave you because if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You don't have to beat yourself over the head once you give your life to, or once you um, do something wrong and repent. Once you repent, it's over. Once you repent, it's over. But you need to repent. You need to repent. I hope this teaching helped you guys today. God loves you very much. There's so much grace available for you in Christ Jesus. Anytime you do anything wrong, there is grace in Christ Jesus, but we need to repent.
Hope this answered your questions. Drop something in the comments. Maybe the comment section kind of goes quiet sometimes. So somebody hit me with a comment sometime. Um, the only comment I got was like terrible. It was like somebody like yelling at me for like saying that like gay marriage was a sin or something like that. And I was just like, well, that's what the Bible says. So I'm sorry. Uh, God loves gay people though too. And there's grace for them. Amen. I'm going to stop talking now because I can go on for uh, a long time. I got another teaching next week that I'm excited uh, to minister uh, to you about, about repentance, um, as long as the Lord keeps leading me in that direction. God bless you. Hope to see you guys in Impact next week. Thank you for listening to the Uncanceled Podcast. We hope you were blessed and encouraged by the teaching today. If you are between the grades of 5th through 12th grade, make sure to check us out in person at Faith Church in New Milford, Connecticut every Wednesday night from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Be sure to tune in next week for another weekly podcast from Uncanceled. God bless.